Thanks for tuning in. Tonight's story, as all other of my stories, are as true as I can recall them. Uh, tonight I will be using a little bit of an assistance uh, from some quality bourbon. And believe me, if you were here, I would share some. You uh, never know a person until you see them in a tight spot. Now when I say tight spot, you're thinking flat tire or two months behind on the stupid mortgage. And that's a problem for most of the people in this country. They haven't ever really had a rough go of it. Their sense of struggle is way out of whack. In Montana, the rural part, the real conservative part, is very quiet. What I mean is that they keep to themselves, especially their family and their beliefs. When you meet somebody from the mountains of Montana, you don't just introduce yourself and ask straight away about what they do for a living and how many children they have. That would likely get you a bloody nose or at least a scuffle. No, what you do is you start off proper and slow. You talk about the weather and about the city folk gone crazy and the rest of the world going to hell in a handbasket and you leave it there. Later the personal questions for family and God such that's maybe the fourth or fifth time you talk to them. Everything in its own time and place they say. That uh, sort of neighborship suited me just fine after I'd lost my business back in Arizona, which I discussed in episode three. We all do it naturally. You know, it comes from a million years of evolution. We summed up people we encountered to assess the level of threat. So we can either fight or flee. I never could run fast, so I always had to stand my ground for better or worse. You'll see in this story, I had to flee all right. Standing my ground was not much of an option. In 1992 or 93, we didn't have a calendar during the 90s as we tried to live like pioneers in the rugged mountains of Montana. Anyway, my wife and I had built a 320 square foot cabin on the south side of a mountain at an elevation of 5,500 feet on 20 acres. That's well above a mile high for those of you swamp dwellers. In another episode I will discuss the specifics on how we lived and almost died a dozen times, but this story is really about discovering the inside of yourself and that of other people. You think you know somebody 
and then they go and change it all up. We uh we didn't have money except for the couple of months my wife and I would grab a simple job so we could buy the essentials. In the beginning our property tax was about forty five dollars. Yeah, that's forty five on the entire twenty acres. When you got no money, forty five can be daunting. But for the most part we bartered our stuff, our extra supplies with our neighbors. When I say neighbors, I mean you couldn't actually see their house from your house, but the space between you was important up there because none of us wanted to socialize. Life was tough without electricity and running water. It didn't make sense to try to pretend it wasn't by smiling and chatting. So if a neighbor dropped by, it was important. They usually needed something. They wouldn't have money, so I always had a pile of stuff that I used as barter. Sometimes I could try trade some iron uh, that I got free in town or a tire I got for five dollars and then fix the hole with a melted plastic Pepsi bottle and roofing tire. You get pretty innovative when you get poor. Junk was money and money, well, it wasn't of much use. That's why now I really haven't much of a care for it. I guess that makes you and me polar opposites. One day, a neighbor, I didn't like the guy much, came calling and he had a friend with him. The neighbor lived about a mile away on a hill. Dumb as hell to build a cabin on a peak in Montana, by the way. It's a lot colder out in the open and on top of something. But he was a part-time preacher. What would a fool know about pioneer living? Anyway, his, his friend learned I was a dowser, and he needed somebody to locate where to have the drill or drill. Up there you miss and you can throw a couple thousand dollars away real quick. They charge you per foot and uh, it doesn't matter if the foot leads to nowhere or not. I wanted to learn a skill that would help me for decades to come and it just so happened that he was fairly skilled in trapping beaver and he had photos of pelts in his billfold to prove it. So we struck a deal. The next day we headed up into the mountains, an entirely different range than where I lived. This was across the valley about 15 miles away. Small mountains, but real peaky and brushy. He drove and we exited the truck and started up the first steep hill. 
Most of these were 100 to 200 yards high. Uh, one from another. We'd climb and then descend before climbing again and again over and over. Eventually, I could hear a river. Once we got down to the bank, it was starting to snow and it was still cold, but the bank was still muddy, which was great because you could easily see the tracks and know how old they were based on if they were dry, semi-dry, or wet. His name was Dave, and as we walked along the river, he showed me tracks from beaver and a fox just before we came across the biggest mud print a bear I'd ever seen. I saw this thing coming out of the tall grass and vanishing into the water. The print, not the bear. I looked over at Dave and said, Kinda fresh, ain't it? <laughs> Both of us stared around and scanned the area for this man-eater, but we didn't see or hear anything, so we went ahead and began to cross the river. It was really a stream more than a river at the time. After the snow melted it would birth into a river, alright, but it was still fifty feet wide and maybe three feet deep. He had spotted some round rocks periodically poking up just a ways down and started to hop his way across. I followed. I think it was my third hop and my boots slipped on the wet surface and I went crashing into the cold ice water, fully submerged. The next moment Dave was pulling me to the muddy bank and he had eyes as big as a saucer and said, man, we are in a bad way now. Get your clothes stripped off and I'll start a fire. Hypothermia sets in and you die pretty quick. I knew this, so I stripped down, sat in the tall grass shivering. He hung my clothes on top of a tripod made from large branches above the fire and I got as close to it as I could. All I wanted to get is warm, but I started to realize that my ankle hurt something fierce. I looked down and it was swollen as big as a softball, and I couldn't stand. He looked real concerned because he was realizing what that meant. Me? Not yet, but I soon would. My clothes were half dry some twenty minutes later, and after getting dressed, I tried slipping my boot on without the shoestrings. No go. It was getting larger and more painful. We both reckoned I broke it. I then caught Dave looking around for the bear, which I had completely forgotten about. It dawned on me that he could smell the smoke, and since we are approaching winter, he might be up for some fresh meat. Dave didn't say anything, but I know he was thinking the same thing. I tried hopping and 
then tried to walk with a branch under my arm, but it was of no use. I was screwed. We looked up at the sun and it was probably three hours until sunset. Now, it had taken us over an hour to get there. Getting out, well, it might be several hours, we weren't sure. The plan was for Dave to carry me up the ridge and then I could roll or scoot down the ridge on my own. I should tell you now that back then I was in my early thirties and in the prime of my life. I was six foot six, two hundred and fifty pounds. I had lost fifty pounds living like a mountain man the past couple of years. My point is I ain't no easy load to carry. And Dave, although he was in his late twenties and not a frail guy at all, knew he had a huge task ahead. He made it halfway up, probably 75 yards, and collapsed with me rolling in agony from the pain of my ankle. Another 15 minutes of anguish and he had carried me all the way to the first ridge. We had another dozen or so steep ridges to go. Neither one of us complained. We both knew that we didn't have time for it. Once at the top of each ridge, I began to scoot down as he walked in front of me. It took longer the first time to go down on my ass than it took going up on his back. Once we got up to the top of the second ridge, I started rolling, somersaulting, and scooting in order to get to the bottom faster. It was horrible, painful as the brush and the twigs would scrape my lower back raw. Both of my back pockets were ripped off. My jeans were muddy and cold and torn in the front and the back. But we were focused on getting out before it got dark. Before descending each ridge, Dave would scan the area from the top and make sure the bear wasn't coming to rip us apart. He carried a forty-five pistol, but those just bounce off the skull of a bear. And if you hit it in the torso, well, I've read stories that you just make them mad enough to play with your liver while you watch. Dave was exhausted. Halfway out of the mountains, I started to wait for him to say, hey, you stay here and I'll go alone and come back with help, leaving me as bear bait before I froze to death. But he never did. He kept picking me up and carrying me up the ridge one after another. We knew to follow the sun because the truck was on the west side of the mountain. We were descending the last couple of ridges in the dark. It was brutal. And I ain't gonna lie. I was concerned. We arrived at the logging road about a thousand feet from the truck. 
My jeans were shredded and I couldn't feel my back. He took a look with the flashlight and said we needed to get to the hospital. I said I just wanted to go home. We had everything the hospital would have. Of course my wife was worried and shocked when she saw how tore up I was. Once I got inside, Dave was relieved and I remembered looking at him and he back at me. No words, just a short stare. How do I repay that, I thought. What would you have done if you were in his position? Leave me and hope you could return in time before the bear or the tin below got me? We all think we'd do the right thing and carry the new friend out of the mountains, but then again, most of you complain about pumping your own gas or loaning a neighbor your mower on Saturday. No, we all would do the same thing. But heroes are rare. And people like us, well, we're a dime a dozen. All about ourselves. Every time I meet somebody new, I size them up and determine if they are friend or foe. It's an evolutionary thing. You do it too. The only difference is none of you can compare to a guy that didn't ever teach me how to trap beaver. Thanks for listening. Leave a comment and share with people that like true stories. The ones that are as true as I can remember that is. Like I could ever forget this one. Talk again next week.